Hallelujah. Well, it's great to see you all in church. Um, it's wonderful to be here. It, it's great to be in a place where the Spirit of God is. Uh, whenever the Spirit of God is in a place, there will always be revelation. There will always be life. Hallelujah. And that's what we expect today. So, Father, we thank you because of your presence. Your, your word says where two or three are gathered in your name, you are there. And in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, Lord, let there be a freshness here today. Uh, let the word of God uh, remove yokes and destroy burdens today. Let the light of God come into our hearts and bring life and transformation. Uh, we give you thanks, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've titled the message this morning, uh, The Overcomers. The Overcomers. And I'm taking the text from the book of Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to start reading from verse 7. And, you know, over a few weeks now, um, the beginning of verse 7, that statement, um, beginning verse 7, has been coming up over and over in my spirit. And, um, you know, as I meditated on it, I, I, I got um, revelation for myself. But, but I began to see that the Lord wanted me to share um, things along this line with the church. And that's why I'm talking about this today. And I will uh, talk about some aspects of this over the next couple of weeks. This is not a series I've ever done before. Um, this is something that I really believe the Lord wants us to look at. So I'll start from verse 7. It says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He deceives the whole world. He was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then, he heard, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of a lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. We see in scripture about war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Uh, the Bible tells us before the creation of man, a time of war. When Lucifer um, deceived a third of the angels of heaven, um, in Isaiah 14 we see the account, when Lucifer decided within himself that he was going to take the throne of God. And of course, he was kicked out of heaven. Um, there was war in heaven and he was kicked out. And he was kicked out into the heavenly region across the earth. Um, the Bible talks about the fact that there are spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. That is where he operates from. In the book of Revelation, we're seeing um, an event that is yet to occur. 
There is coming a time before what the Bible teaches to be the re revelation of the beast and the Antichrist where Satan and his cohorts will be cast out of the heavenly realm and actually cast out to the earth. They will not have access to the heavenlies and to operate from the heavenlies anymore. But I'm not here to talk about eschatology this morning. I, I want to draw out certain principles from this account that apply to you and I. One of the principles is the fact that Satan will always fight you. Satan will always fight you. Satan will always come against you. The kingdom of darkness will always come against the kingdom of light. The devil fights you to draw you back from what you ought to do. The devil will fight a church to close its mouth, to make it small and irrelevant. The devil will fight you to draw back so you don't speak up and take your position in life and society and fulfill your high purpose. The devil will fight us. And that is why the Bible says in Ephesians 6 verse 12 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the world rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. You know, C.S. Lewis in his book, um, um, Screwtape Letters, says that the kingdom of darkness um, operates two strategies. One strategy is to get you to uh, be oblivious to their existence. So you don't think they exist. You just think that evil is just a figment of the imagination or the consequence of the actions of man. Or then he also does the other thing where he gives, he, he gives too much credence to the enemy. So we see a demon under every, you know, every chair. But you know the truth of the matter is there is a personal devil and he comes against you. The things that you are facing in life are not just physical. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There is more to what is going on than what you, you can see, feel, touch, or taste. Hallelujah. We are in a context of spiritual warfare. And it is important that we understand where we're at. Do not be like the person who, you know, attended a wrestling match not realizing that he himself was the one that was on the bill to get into, uh, uh, in, you know, to get into battle. So he shows up at the, uh, at the arena with his, um, you know, with his hot dogs and his, you know, his Coca-Cola. And he sits at the ringside. And when they're introducing the fighters, they tap him and say, um, excuse me, it, it is your turn to get in the ring. The Bible says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Just because you're not aware of it does not mean that you're not in a fight. And just because you're not aware of it does not mean that the devil would just lay low and lie down because after all, she didn't know that she was in warfare. The word has been given to us so that we will not be ignorant. The devil is coming against you. But thank God we are destined to be overcomers. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, Paul writes to the Ephesian church and says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against all the attacks or all the wiles of the devil. You need to be informed. You need to put on your armor. You need to engage. Hallelujah. 
Because that is the only way you are going to overcome the enemy and his plans for your life, for your family, for your business, and for your destiny in this time. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4, the Bible speaking about our weapons says, the weapons that God has given us are not fleshly weapons. They are not carnal weapons. They are mighty weapons. Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations, arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So we are a spiritual people with spiritual weapons that are in warfare against a spiritual enemy. Now let me begin by looking at how the devil attacks us. Let me begin by looking at how the devil attacks us. Because, you know, if we are under attack, we need to understand how he attacks us. One way he attacks us is directly. The devil will come against you directly. In 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So the, the devil is looking for kings in your armor. He is looking for opportunities to steal from you, to kill, and to destroy. That is the truth. Sometimes he comes against us directly. And when I say directly, I don't mean um, you would necessarily, you know, have a demon manifesting in your room at 2 a.m. in the morning or 4 a.m. or whatever time is designated to be the time that witches fly in the night. All right? Now, he may do that. That's one of the ways he comes directly. You know, I mean, you know, I, I have a lot of dreams. The Lord speaks to me in dreams. You know, but sometimes the enemy comes in and tries to infiltrate my dreams. Yeah, and it happened a couple of days ago. I had a dream and I woke up and thought, and I laughed to myself. And I said, you know, okay. I took authority over him and I said, I'm going to dream again. Let's, let's go for it. Yeah. Um, it, it is important, you know, to understand the devil comes against us. But when he comes against us directly, um, it's not necessarily through spiritual manifestations. You see, the word devil is not the devil's first name or surname. The word devil, the meaning of devil is slanderer. He is a slanderer. So when the devil comes against you directly, he's going to come against you with slander. He's going to come with accusations. He's going to come with thoughts. And those thoughts, and that's why the Bible says the weapons of our warfare... Help us cast down imaginations and arguments. He's going to bring thoughts into your mind. And the aim of those thoughts is to cause you uh, to be demoralized. It is to cause you not to stand up, to keep quiet. He's going to bring thoughts into your mind. That is one of the ways he does a direct attack. He's a slanderer. The word Satan means an adversary. He's there to fight you. And one of the primary ways he does that is through slander. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. 
He comes directly. But then he also works through other vehicles. He works through the world system. He can come directly or work through the world system. The world system is a system and an arrangement of the affairs of men and government that is under the control of the evil one and opposed to God and his purposes for man. You know, the Bible says that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. Now, we're in the world, but this world is governed by a system. And that system, the head of that system, is the devil himself. So it's important that as we are walking on earth, we understand that, you know what, we are not limited by this system, and we must not submit to this system. I'll give you an example. One of the principles of the world system is get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. All right? Everyone get as much as they can, as quickly as they can, and keep it for themselves for as long as they can. That is the world system. There is a world economic system. There is a world life system. In fact, people like Mohammed Yunus said that poverty is the result of the world system. Because there is more than enough on planet earth to satisfy all humanity. Are you with me? There is a world system that is controlled by the devil. So he will use the world system to attack you. Amen. Now I'm talking about this because where I'm going to is the fact that we are overcomers. So we need to understand how he attacks. So we know what weapons we have been given to overcome his attacks. It says that we should put on the whole armor so that in the day of evil, we'll be able to stand. The day of evil is the day of attack. Is that not correct? So he uses the world system. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says, If our gospel is hid or is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age or of this system has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of, or the gospel of the glory of Christ, um, who is the image of God, shall shine into them. There's a world system that blinds humanity. John, in his epistle, John, 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then he begins to talk about the things that are in the world system. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. These things are not of the Father. They are of the world system. So he uses television to titillate the lust of the flesh. To give you a twisted desire that, you know what, uh, one is not enough, you need to have three. He's going to use the world's fashion. He's going to use uh, every vehicle that the world has, twist it, and use it to bring the people of God into bondage. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He said the world and its system is passing away, but he who does the will of the Lord will abide forever. So he comes directly with slander. He comes through the world system. He comes through the flesh. The Bible says in, five, in Galatians 5.16, talks about the works of the flesh. Okay, the propensity of the flesh to do evil. That comes out of the flesh being trained in, uh, to respond to the stimuli of the world. 
He said the devil attacks us in these different ways. But thank God the Bible says we are overcomers. We can overcome. You know, I like the word overcome. When I looked it up in the Greek, it's the Greek word nikao, which means to subdue, to conquer, to prevail, to overpower. It speaks about victory after a struggle and real opposition. So when the Bible talks about being an overcomer, it says that God has destined for you to be able to subdue every plan of darkness, every attack of the devil, you can overpower it. Hallelujah. There's going to be an engagement. There will be an engagement. You know the Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It is not something that you're not going to get involved in. It is going to be personal. It is going to come against you. You are going to engage with it, but God has ordained you to overcome that thing. You can overcome in every battle of life. In the book of Revelation, the word overcome occurs more times than in any other book in the New Testament. It occurs 17 times in the book of Revelation. So I, look, I like to call the book of Revelation the the book of overcomers. The book of overcomers. And, and you know, Revelation, even though a lot of us um, try to avoid reading the book of Revelation, but Revelation begins with a statement that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus revealing himself to his church. It is Jesus showing his church the things that are about to come. And in the book of Revelation... We see Jesus preparing his bride to be the triumphant church that he has made her to be. The church of Jesus is a triumphant church. It is an overcoming church. It is a church that God has raised in the earth to subdue every work of darkness. The book, the next book, um, in terms of the number of frequency of occurrences of the word overcomer, is the book of uh, John's epistle. You know, John was the one given the revelation or the revelation of revelation. And um, also he wrote the epistle of First John. Uh, in the book of First John, it occurs six times. While in the book of Revelation, it occurs 17 times. Now, in studying the um, references to overcomer in both books, I realize that it is used in a slightly different way. The word overcome is used slightly differently in the book of John from how it's used in the book of Revelation. And I'd like us to look at that this morning. Because I think it's important we understand how this works. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of 1 John chapter 5 verse 4. In 1 John 5 4, John writes, he says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So, by birth, you are an overcomer. Through faith in Christ, we permanently overcome the world in the sense that we have been delivered from the blindness that the world is under. You know, we read earlier, it says that... Um, um, people who are under the God of this age, their eyes are blinded so they can't see the truth of the gospel. 
But you know, when we come into Christ, those blinders are removed, are they not? So we are no longer subject to the blindness of not knowing um, that the enemy is the God of this world. We, through faith in Christ, that blindness has been removed. It's a little bit like, um, you know, Neo in the Matrix. He took the red pill and his eyes opened. Our eyes have opened permanently, have they not? So in that context, um, we are already overcomers in terms of uh, the devil can't blind us in that regard anymore. Then in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14... The writer says, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know, the devil uses the fear of death to control people. But when we come into Christ... We are delivered from the fear of death, are we not? Once you get born again, there is no fear anymore concerning your eternal destiny. Okay? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit bears witness within our spirits that we are children of God. So the devil can come, he can come tempt you, but, but he, can't, he can't tempt you concerning your salvation because the Bible says that we have that witness within ourselves. We have peace with God. You know, if you are uncertain about what would happen to you when you die, then you are not born again yet. You need to get born again. Because once you get born again, that question about will I see God, will I be with Jesus, is settled forever. It's a little bit like being married. If you're married, you know you're married. If you don't know you're married, then you're probably not married. You might not remember the day. You know, guys, let me help you here. Sometimes we may forget the actual day, but, but you know you are. Because you had a ceremony, all right? It's official, all right? There is no confusion. I know some of you men do not wear your wedding rings, and you should wear your wedding rings. Just help our single ladies in the church to know who the married guys are. And it works the other way as well. It help our single men to know who the married women are. You know, I've heard that some women just buy a ring and put it on just so that they won't be disturbed. That's not a good plan. That's not a good deal. Remove that ring if you're not married. Uh-huh. I sense the spirit of God bearing witness with me on that matter. <laughs> Help us, please. Yeah? So it's, a, it's like being married, okay? Um, you, you know that you are married. It's settled in your heart. In like manner, when you come into Christ, you have overcome because the enemy can't use your salvation to tempt you anymore. Because you have passed from death to life. So that deception is over. However, when we look at the book of Revelation... The concept of being an overcomer is used differently. It is not used generically in terms of, you know, um, the, you know, being translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It is not used generically in the terms of, you know, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. It's, it's getting more personal. Because in the book of Revelation, we are seeing um, overcoming in terms of our daily walk and our daily lives. It is about overcoming within the realm of daily conflicts and battles of the Christian life. You know, in, in um, John 16, 33, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
Now, he's not speaking about overcoming generically. He's saying, as you walk on, in planet Earth on a daily basis, things are going to come against you, but you have the capacity to overcome them on a daily basis because I, will, I have overcome the world, and through my victory, you would learn how to enforce my victory on a daily basis in your life. The Christian life is full of conflict. It's full of tribulation. But victory awaits all believers through the victory accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is a victory that must be appropriated by an active faith that is fed through fellowship with God. A daily victory that must be appropriated by active faith that is fed through fellowship with God. And we see this in the book of Revelation. We see illustrations of battles that believers must overcome and for which rewards are promised. You know, you can be a believer and yet fail to live for the Lord and fail to overcome the desires of the flesh, for instance. The fact that a believer does not overcome the struggles of life does not automatically mean that they are not Christians. If you have truly believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you cannot lose your salvation. But you can lose the rewards that God has destined for overcomers. Because there are rewards for overcomers. I said there are rewards for overcomers. In Revelation 22 verse 12, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. To give to each one according to his work. How many of you know that heaven is not a reward? Heaven is a blessing, is it not? By grace are we saved through faith. But there are rewards that God gives his people who have overcome through faith in him. He said, my reward is with me. I am here to reward people according to their work. In 1 Corinthians 3.14, the Bible is speaking about the fact that you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which is the reward seat of Christ. It says in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 3, that if anyone's work which he built on it endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, for he, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. God hasn't destined just for you to go to heaven. He has destined for you to be an overcomer in this life and receive in heaven the rewards that come as a result of being an overcomer. And that is why the message in Revelation is for the triumphant church. It is for a church that gets a revelation of who they truly are. Who they truly are. We are here to be triumphant over every work of the devil. We are here to advance the kingdom of God. We are here to fulfill our high purpose in God. Now the good thing is that Revelation talks about them overcoming and it tells us how they did. Well, if we apply the same principles, we will enjoy the same victory. So now let's look at how they overcame. It begins by saying they overcame through the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony and the fact that they loved not their lives unto death. They overcame the devil and his plans through the blood of the lamb. That is the first thing. You see, we're talking now about the spiritual weapons that you have been given. 
that you can use to win this spiritual battle. Your intellect, your intellect is not going to help you win. Your contacts are not going to help you win. In fact, your willpower is not going to help you win. All right? Because your willpower, when it comes to the enemy, is no match for him. And that's why Paul says, you need to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Understand that you're not wrestling against your boss, against your husband, against your wife, against the economy. You are wrestling against spiritual forces and you need to unleash your spiritual weapons. When you unleash them, you will overcome every time. He says they overcame him through the blood of the lamb. Everyone say the blood of the lamb. You know, we've been talking about righteousness and, 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 I, and I need to emphasize it again. We overcome through the blood of the lamb. Now, this is very important because it deals directly with the devil's primary method of attack. And that is him as a slanderer. He's going to bring thoughts into your heart that will erode you of your strength to get up and walk in the confidence that belongs to you. But thank God you have an answer for him. And the answer for him is the blood of the lamb. The answer is the blood of the lamb. When the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. I said it a few months ago that resist the devil doesn't mean saying I resist you devil. Have you ever tried that? You probably realize it didn't work very well. Okay? Because resisting the devil is using the weapon he has given you to attack him. Okay? The devil does not respond to I resist you in Jesus' name. You need to use the weapon. It's a little bit like somebody being given a gun. And someone says, oh, this gun kills people. It, be careful with it. It kills people. And, and then in the middle of the night, he wakes up because his house is under attack. Robbers have invaded his space. And he grabs hold of the gun. And he says to them, I have a gun. In fact, it's a, an AK-47. It's got bullets in it. I have a gun. I have a gun. And, and the robbers break into the room. And, and he says, I have a gun. And the robbers take the gun from him and shoot him with his gun. Just because you have a gun and you say I have a gun is not the resisting power that a gun releases. Alright? So when the Bible says resist the devil, he's saying use the weapon you have been given to resist him. It says they resisted and overcame with the blood of the lamb. How do we do that? You know, the cross and resurrection of Jesus was the place where the power of the devil was stripped from him. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus stripped the devil of all his authority. In 1 John 3, 8, the Bible says, for this reason, the Son of God was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. To destroy does not mean to annihilate the devil didn't cease to exist. The word destroy is the Greek word lua, which means to loose. So he has stripped the devil of his authority. And the devil has no authority anymore that he can exert against you. He has no legal right to do so. The victory of Christ at the cross was a complete victory of the kingdom of God over Satan. But it was done on our behalf. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he was made to be seen for us who knew no sins that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Everything he received, every victory he received, he did it on behalf of you and I, on behalf of humanity. And that is why when um, Paul was writing in Colossians 2.15, 
He said Jesus completely disarmed principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. When he appeared to John in Revelation 1, he said, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the first and the last. He said, I have the keys of hell and of death. Every authority that, that Satan had, I have obtained that key on behalf of my people. And in, in Matthew 28, 18, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go. The victory of Christ over Satan was effected through his death, burial, and resurrection. And that victory was received and achieved on our behalf. You know, the redemptive work of Christ, one of the elements of the redemptive work is contained in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In verse 7 it says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption. We have deliverance and salvation through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he has made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. We are beneficiaries of abounding grace. And it says through that abounding grace we have been redeemed we have been delivered. We have obtained salvation through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We are forgiven. Every, everyone say, I am forgiven. I am accepted. I belong to God. He says we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We are forgiven. You know, Jesus made a curious statement when he was speaking to his disciples in John chapter 6, verse 53. He said, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you for my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed you know when we break bread when we have communion what we are doing is we are reminding ourselves of the implications of his death burial and resurrection that's what we're doing we are, when he says eat my flesh and drink my blood he's saying um, receive all the benefits that my blood has given you Come into union with it. Come into oneness with it. Are you with me? Let the implication of my death so mark your consciousness that it affects the way you think. It affects the way you act. They conquered Satan through the blood of the lamb because they brought to their recollection the implications of the blood being shed and they used that to put a stop and defeat the enemy and his accusations. You know, the enemy is always going to accuse you. He's always going to accuse you. He's always going to tell you why you don't deserve it. Why it can't happen for you. Why the sins that you committed 15 years ago are the fruit that you are receiving in your life today. Why you are not qualified to enter into that space. While that child, you cannot have it because of what your parents have done and because of what you did. Why it will not be well with you. He will always come and tell you why you cannot fulfill your high calling in God. When God was calling people, he didn't think about you. Initially he thought about you, but many are called for you are chosen. You were not chosen because of the things you have done. When you receive those things coming up in your heart, it is not a thought that is just coming up randomly. You are under the direct attack of the devil. That, 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 he's a slanderer. He's a slanderer. That's what he does. 
And his point, the purpose of his slander is to bring you under accusation. Notice he's not called the false accuser of the brethren. He's called the accuser of the brethren. Because he will bring legitimate things that you have done and bring them into your recollection and use it to disqualify you or to help you disqualify yourself from the grace of God and your high calling. The Bible says that you will come against it through the blood. It reminds me of one of the songs, one of our old hymnal songs. I believe it was an old Presbyterian hymn. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. We need to recall the benefits of the blood. Our confidence must be in the blood and in the blood alone. The song said, this is all my hope and peace. This is all my hope, not part of my hope, but all of my hope and peace. We need to recall that the blood was offered once and for all for us. And it forever it forever answers or satisfies God's judgment for sin against us. It says nothing but the blood of Jesus. The last verse of that song says, Now by this I'll overcome. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now by this I'll reach my home. It's not just heaven. It is my high calling in God. As I recall the benefits of the blood of Jesus. You know, when the devil accuses you, plead the blood. You know, I've heard so many people talk about pleading the blood. And it's a bit amusing sometimes what we think that means. You know, the way people plead the blood, you will think that um, we had access to the liquid blood of Jesus. And as they are pleading the blood, the, the picture is that somehow they are grabbing a hold of some of the blood and... and and just sprinkling it over the home, sprinkling it over their children, sprinkling it over their jobs. Now, that is not what pleading the blood means. When you plead the blood, what you are doing is that you are reminding yourself of the efficacy of the blood. And on the basis of that recollection, you are attacking the enemy with that understanding you have about what the blood has done for you. You know, God speaking to Cain said, the blood of your brother Abel is crying out to me. Hebrews 12 talks about the fact that the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus speaks about our qualification. It speaks about our forgiveness. When you plead the blood, you are coming, you are acknowledging what the blood speaks and you are speaking the same thing. If you've ever watched one of these old movies, Medieval movies where there's a lot of fighting, you know, like men love to uh, watch. And thank God for that. Anyway, you know, in, every, in all these movies when there's about to be an attack, and it ki one kingdom is attacking the next, there would usually be a banner, a banner of the king. And they will fight under that banner. And when he commands them to move, the, the banner's man moves first. And the whole army moves under that banner. You know, Jehovah is called Jehovah Nissi. He's the Lord our banner. When you are pleading the blood, you are raising the banner of the blood as the qualification under which you run. 
So when the devil attacks, you say, no, I am a child of God. The blood of Jesus speaks on my behalf. And on the basis of the blood, I qualify for this. My qualification is not myself. My qualification is the banner of the blood that is upon my life. It is the efficacy of the blood. You know, it is said that when the, when the devil knows he can't fight you, he starts calling you names. You need to answer to what he's, you need to respond to the names he's calling you. Don't just keep it quiet. Don't just say, no, I refuse to believe that. No, you need to answer it. You can refuse to believe all you want. But that thing, is, it's finding its way into your inner man. Yeah? You must answer it with truth. You must answer it with the confidence you have in the blood of Jesus. Look at First John chapter 3 as I bring this to a close this morning. It says, they overcame him first of all with the blood of the Lamb. I'm emphasizing this because it's important. This is the first place he comes. The reason why some people are sitting when it comes to their high calling is because in their heart, they don't believe they are ready. They don't believe they are qualified. They don't believe that they are righteous enough for the holy calling that God has given them. Yeah, What you have done is you have submitted to the slander of the enemy. You have submitted to it. You need to get up. You need to get up the blood of the lamb. The reason why some people just don't want to be known, let me be my little corner doing my own little thing, is because somehow they feel that when they, are, when they come into a place of greater influence and prominence, they will be exposed for the fake that they believe they are. Your being small does not, does not celebrate God because the reason why he has a great destiny for you is because of the blood and what the blood speaks on your behalf. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, I'm going to read in the New King James, and then I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version. The things that pull us down, a lot of times, are things that we can't see. It begins from the inside. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. We need to deal with that. You know, it's not just the way I am. That's just the way I am. No, it's not just the way you are. That way you are is actually the way you have become as a result of listening to what the devil has said about you. That is not who you are. You are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. And you can do what God says you can do. In 1 John 3, 19, look at this. It says, and this we know. And by this we know that we are of the truth. And shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our, hearts does, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. I'll read it in the Amplified Version. Verse 19 says, And by this we shall come to know, perceive, recognize, and understand that we are of the truth and can reassure, quiet, conciliate, and pacify our hearts in his presence Whenever our hearts in tormenting self-accusation makes us feel guilty. Now, let us unpack that. We need to understand this. So, John is saying that, that because we are people of truth, we use the truth of the word to pacify and conciliate our hearts. You know, thank God for conviction. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. The closer we get to God, the more we adjust our lives um, to what he wants us to do. 
It's interesting because the closer you get to God, the more of a sinner you realize you are. Okay? There are sins in your life that the Holy Spirit will not reveal to you right now. You know, some of us think we're God's first cousins. Get closer and you realize, you know, it's interesting. You need to follow the life of Paul because in his final books, he said about himself, Jesus came to save sinners of which I am, I am chief of them. You know, in his first book, he said, in the book of Galatians, he said, you know, I'm just like any other apostle. I don't know why they're celebrating these guys because we're all the same. In his next book, he said, I'm the least of the apostles to the Corinthians. He said, I'm actually the least of the apostles. And then uh, later on, he said, I'm the least of the saints. But when he came to the end of his life, he said, I'm the worst of all sinners. You know, Jesus came to die for sinners. I am the worst of them all. He didn't say I was. He said, I am the worst of them all. So the closer we get to God, the Lord, the more he reveals to us um, things that he wants us to correct by his grace in our lives. But the first time he reveals it to you is not the first time he knew about it. And, and when we receive revelation from God, we can make the adjustment. We repent. We receive new information and turn in a new direction and enter greater into his grace. But you know, before you even knew about the sin, he was forgiving you. Before you even knew about that sin, he was, he was forgiving you because you have redemption through his blood. Okay? But then, there are some people that committed sins, had an abortion 20 years ago. And now their hearts are still condemning them. There are people who have done all kinds of things. But even now, they are still disqualifying themselves from certain things. Because in their hearts, in their heart, there is still that guilt. Now John says that because we are people of the truth, we can use the truth. To pacify and, con and conciliate our hearts when our hearts are condemning us. It means that it is possible for your heart to condemn you about things that God does not condemn you for. Your heart, your conscience is only a good guide when your conscience has been fed with the word of God. He says, even if our heart is condemning us, thank God God is greater than our hearts and we can use the truth that God says about us to retrain our hearts. So even if on the inside there is a guilt that is, has been plaguing you, you need to use the truth of the word, the banner of the blood, to retrain your heart concerning that. That, that feeling, even though it's coming from the inside, is not from God. Thank God God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your heart. And he says we're in God's hands for he's above and greater than our conscience, our hearts. And he knows, perceives, understands everything. Nothing is hidden from him. And beloved, if our consciences, our hearts do not accuse us, if they do not make us feel guilty and condemn us, we have confidence, complete assurance and boldness before God. He says they overcame by what? The blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. One translation puts it this way. It says the word of their evidence, the word of their evidence, the word of their confession. Your confession is important. You know, I, I really love the times of confession we've been having in church this past couple of weeks. And, and, and you know, when you stand and begin to confess the word, even though we did it just for a few minutes, it changed the atmosphere in this room. Yeah? Uh, you would acknowledge that it changed the atmosphere in your heart. It says they overcame with the blood and they overcame with the word of their confession. 
You see, the triumphant church is the overcoming church that advances the kingdom of God. One of the ways we advance the kingdom is through preaching the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 1.21, the Bible says that for since God in his wisdom, uh, through his wisdom the world did not know him, it has pleased God that through the foolishness of preaching, men will be saved. What people consider foolishness, through that thing they consider foolishness is what is, how he's going to save people. Let us not consider preaching foolishness. Because it is through the word of our testimony that the kingdom of God is advanced. You know, uh, St. Francis of Assisi is credited with making the statement that we should preach the word and if you have to use words. Now, I actually don't believe St. Francis said that. But you know, anything that stops you from preaching the gospel is not something God wants you to do. We must preach the word. We must preach the word. We're not here to contend with people. We're not here to teach unbelievers the word. No, we're here to preach. To preach means to declare it. Declare the message of God's love. Declare the message of God's grace. Declare the fact that God was in Christ reconciling the word to himself. That feeling you have that comes up in your heart that says, you know, let me live and let live. Let me just be a good neighbor and good friend. Let me not rock the boat. That feeling does not come from God. It comes from the devil. That, that feeling, anything that causes us to withdraw from declaring the word does not come from God. It comes from the devil. It is the devil's attack. When you have that feeling, understand that you are being attacked by the devil. Because the Bible says that God has ordained that through the foolishness of declaring the word, people will be saved. It says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes it. If you declare it, people will believe it. I'll say it again. If you declare it, people will what? They will believe it because the power of God is at work in his word. But beyond declaring to others, you need to declare it to yourself. Philemon 6 says, the communication of your faith will become effective as you acknowledge every good thing in you in Christ. That is what we did during the time of confession. You are acknowledging to yourself. You are muttering to yourself. You are speaking to your heart. You are speaking to your circumstances. Every good thing that you have in Christ. You know that feeling that you know I've said it enough. Doesn't come from God. It comes from the devil. When you have that feeling. Know that you are now in a position where you are under attack. Because that is the way you overcome him. Okay, when you push, he pushes back. When you push, he pushes back. Every time you acknowledge, he reminds you of something else that, 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 that makes you feel that you don't qualify for that acknowledgement. When you say, I am the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus unto good works. I've been made from good, for good works. I've been created in the same material and substance that Christ is created from. He will push back. He will remind you. Of how a workmanship of God cannot have behaved the way you spoke to your husband last week. Now, now when that happens, understand what is happening. You are under attack. And then you now push back again. No, I am the workmanship. I am the workmanship. I am the workmanship. I am the workmanship. As, as soon, as long as you continue to acknowledge who you are in Christ, you will eventually overcome. This is how they did it. Satan cannot control your life if he cannot control your tongue. 
It can't control your life if it can't control your tongue. But in order to control your life, if it gets control of your tongue, it's over. So he, he gets somebody to, you know, prick you, your child, so that he can speak a word that he consider appropriate. Or your husband, or your wife, or your brother in church, or your sister. Yeah, he pricks us because he wants a reaction. And what is the reaction he's looking for? He's looking for you to say something. Understand what is going on. You are under the attack of the devil. But the way we overcome him is continually to acknowledge who we are in Christ and what we have in him. You know, somebody once said that when the devil knows he can't fight you, he starts calling you names. And when he reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. You need to push back. And lastly, it says, they love not their lives unto death. They love not their lives unto death. You know, in, in High Life, our theme verse is Matthew 10, 39 that says, if you give up your lower life uh, for his sake, you will enjoy the higher life. The higher life is a life of sacrifice where you are no longer living for yourself. That is the higher life. Some people think it's the music we play, the cars we drive. The high life is the life of Christ. It is a life of submission to him. It's a life where we're not living for ourselves anymore. We are living for the kingdom. And he said, when you seek first the kingdom, when the kingdom is your priority in every area, all these things, all these things will be added to you. That is the high life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer made the statement. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. But it's also a call to resurrection. If you want to be delivered from the world system, you have to die to the world system. If, G if God was led Jesus to the cross to die and didn't prevent him from dying, he would lead you to die, but he will raise you up from the dead like he rose Jesus from the dead. It would look like your life is coming to an end. When you start making decisions based on what the kingdom demands, it would look to you that your life is coming to an end, but you would enter into a new life, a life where the devil's power over your, your world is broken, where he can, he can no longer control you because you have entered into a life of faith. Of the sons of God. Hallelujah. Did you get something from the word of God this morning? Let's celebrate Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. We are overcomers. We are overcomers. You know, I, I want to see this church full. I want to see it overflowing. But it is important to understand that God is also into individuals. It's about you. If you are the only person on planet earth, Jesus would have come to die for you. God has a great plan for your life. It is a, a, a plan where you are an overcomer, where you are strong, where you are bold, where you are triumphant in every aspect of life. Where you walk a path, where you will embrace the high calling of God for your life. And you will enter into the rewards that he has planned for you before the foundation of the, of the world. Don't let the enemy stop you from the reward God has planned for you. He has a great plan, a great reward in all eternity for your life. Don't let the devil deceive you into thinking you are small. In Christ, you are great. Hallelujah. You are more than enough. You can do what God says you can do. You are who God says you are. Hallelujah. It is Christ that died for you. Nobody, no circumstance has the qualification to condemn you. Walk in the liberty that belongs to you. Father, we thank you so much for the word. We thank you because of the entrance of your word that brings light. And it brings understanding to us. Thank you because we walk in joy. We walk in peace. Because we know that if you are for us, no one can be against us. We give you thanks, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.